Welcome to this special COVID pandemic episode of the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, where the principles of person-centered care come alive. On today's special edition episode, experts from the University of Iowa and our local family counseling and psychology center discuss how to continue to incorporate person-centered practices while caring for individuals over the long term of the COVID pandemic. This episode's podcast host is Ann Garten, director for the St. Ambrose University Institute for Person-Centered Care and an SAU nursing faculty member. Before we get started, we want to remind everyone to please review current COVID reports from reliable sources such as CDC, World Health Organization, and your local and public health departments. This podcast was recorded through the phone to support the current recommendations. Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Person-Centered Care in collaboration with KALA-FM. I'm Ann Garten, Director of SAU's Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty, and will be your host for today's podcast. Our episode today is titled, Person-Centered Through a Pandemic. My guests and I are discussing best person-centered care practices to support our providers and our patients, community members, family, and friends through the COVID pandemic. I would like to welcome our guests, Dan Wiseman and Annabelle Flaherty, to our show today. I wonder if each of you would share a little about yourselves. Dan, how about we start with you? Thanks, Ann. I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, My name is Dan Wiesman. I have been a psych mental health nurse practitioner since 2008. And I still maintain a part-time practice here in the Quad Cities, as well as directing the um, Psych Mental Health Nurse Practitioner Program at the University of Iowa College of Nursing. And Annabelle. Thank you. This is um, really a great opportunity. I'm a Psych Mental Health Nurse Practitioner. And prior to that, I did a lot of psychiatric nursing. Uh, my interest um, is that fits in well with this is disaster and crisis work. Thank you both for joining us and welcome. To begin, I would first like to remind our listeners to please access credible, reliable COVID information from sources such as the CDC, World Health Organization, and your local and state public health departments. Annabelle, Dan, and I will not be focusing on the current disease spread, but instead sharing ways to manage stress and anxiety levels, and partner through person-centered practices with our peers, patients, and community members during this crisis. While listening to Plain Tree's webinar on person-centered care through a pandemic, I heard a great quote by Rabbi Yosef Kansky, and it states, every embrace that we avoid must become a verbal expression of warmth and concern. I believe this is a fantastic expression to show the need to maintain our human connectedness during this time of social isolation, and even in lock-ins being practiced across the globe. So I'd like to start with one of our first questions, and I wonder if you would maybe, Dan, start with how would you share with us ways to maintain our human connectedness through our current social isolation practices whether it's with a patient or going to the grocery store or even everyday life. Yeah, thanks, Ann. I mean, I think, you know, this is one of those times that really requires a lot of us to just think very creatively and outside the box. Uh, I actually just had over the weekend um, my small cousin, 
had her birthday, eight-year-old, and we did it over Zoom like this. And so I think we need to, we all just crave that interconnectedness of human contact that we can't get right now, but we need to find it in ways that are complementary and still allow us to maintain our safety through this pandemic and such. So it's, um, it's one of those things. I mean, I think even in meeting people in the grocery store or other things, we can still say hi, we can still connect with people, but we just have to maintain those six feet boundaries and, uh, and make sure that we're still attending to ourselves and the people that are closest to us. Thank you. And Annabelle, your thoughts? Well, I think, too, it's very important for us to remember to smile at our neighbors. Um, and as Dan says, talk to them at the supermarket. I found myself last week not talking to anyone, and I think it was because I felt guilty because I was out. <laughs> so I won't do that again, not that I'm going very often. Um, I stay in touch with my family on social media and on the telephone, and I find that to be very helpful. Um, I do the same thing with my neighbors, and I try to recognize my own feelings uh, about this because that's a cue to me what other people are likely feeling. I agree. I understand. And and what we're working through is grief. And we're all working through that grief feeling. And acknowledging it is extremely, extremely important, because once we acknowledge it, we can also help others work through it as, as well. I think the other piece, we've given some examples, but um, I've seen uh, some great programs happening with bears and windows and hearts and windows and, and those types of connectedness. But I also wonder how can we help connect with um, people who may not have Zoom and these types of connections or, or our, our um, elderly who are not familiar with this type of thing. And I know in our neighborhood, um, we had the kids passed out postcards to the elderly um, in our neighborhood, uh, and, and the adults called to check in on them, right? But there were some other outside-the-box thinking of how to make sure that we're still connecting with one another. Yeah, I think, you know, another way that I saw this, uh, actually just this morning, was talking about kind of a little bit of old school here and kind of going back to letter writing. And so these are kind of ways, again, to maintain that connection between ourselves and, and other people who may not have, like you said, access to even a phone or something like that. And so, um, but Annabelle, I really liked, you know, what you said too. And it, it does remind me as well, just thinking about monitoring our own feelings and making sure that, you know, that anxiety doesn't translate into anger, irritability. I think that a lot of times we have to remind ourselves that, you know, we're all doing the best we can right now, you know, and it's, and it's not perfect. There's nothing, you know, there's nobody that's going to have to evaluate us or grade us later and say, you know what, you know, Anne did much better than Annabelle over, you know, once this is all kind of come and gone. I think this is just something we get through the best we can and understand with each of us, we're all doing the best we can. And I think that's an appreciation for both ourselves as well as just having for other people as well. There's no way we can do this perfectly, but yeah. to stay in touch with our own feelings is, is the, probably the most important part. And that way we can recognize likely what other people are feeling and identify some of those feelings if we get the opportunity to do that. Yes, thank you both. I also think, and I want to touch on um, briefly, the use of certain connotations that we're hearing sometimes in practice, like hot spots and the Chinese virus and, and things of that nature that will create barriers or biases towards people that we are caring for. And, and to avoid that is extremely important during this time. Yeah. I think, you know, in, in that too, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. This is, 
you know, this may be human nature in itself. I remember, you know, even in the AIDS epidemic and, and things like that, people would have a lot of, you know, preconceptions or, or different judgments against, um, you know, people that may be contracting the virus. And the same thing goes along here. And unfortunately, we're all kind of on this big, big marble. And, and, you know, we have to kind of put up with each other and really accept each other for you know, our, all our faults and our and our positives. And so I think that's something we all just need to kind of respect in ourselves. And you know, it's, I, I can kind of piggyback on what Annabelle was saying, you know, really that's, that's where we need to start. And then, you know, translate that into how we interact with other people. Uh, Annabelle, I really liked how you kind of said too, you know, you felt a little guilty about going out. I, mean, I feel the same way. I mean, I feel even getting in the car, you know, going to get food, things like that. It's, you know, it's almost like, you know, there's this invisible barrier I've created around my house and, and that just can't be. I mean, again, we need to be connecting with other people and interacting with them as best we can because, you know, we're, we're not in it ourselves and uh, need to let other people know that uh, we're all in it together. I think yeah, one thing that I heard. Very good. I'm sorry, Ann. No, go ahead, Annabelle. <laughs> I'm, I'm working from home now, so I'm talking with patients on the telephone. And I'm, as I look back over it, and I've only done it for a few days, it it almost seems as if they're two together. Um, and when I do it again, I'm going to ask them again or a little bit more definitely about how they're, how they're actually feeling and give them an opportunity to talk about that. Yeah, I love that you point, made guys. that point. Yes. And can I add to that is, is to when we talk to them to have our own authenticity and empathy in those conversations and using words that, I feel your I feel your grief, you know, and and things of that nature that will um, help them understand that we're all we're all going through this in our own ways as well. Dan, I think you had a comment. No, I, I just was yeah, kind of piggyback again to what Annabelle said. You know, this this idea too. I think sometimes we feel as providers, and and I've been doing this in my practice as well, is reaching out to my clients and just making sure they're okay and kind of touching base and making sure. You know, they have medications, they have, you know, access to resources that they need kind of very much on that Maslow bottom level and things. But I think you're right. We need to kind of also attend to their emotional health and just maybe giving them time to kind of vent and be able to talk and communicate with us as well. Even though, again, it's not an in-person, you know, at the clinic kind of visit, it's one of those things. It's a way to kind of keep in touch with people and make sure that we're attending to the needs, not just, like I said, physiologically, but also emotionally, too, I think this quarantine will take a toll that'll be felt, unfortunately, past the, you know, rising and the falling of the virus and, and its um, pattern. So, If I may, we'll go on to the next question. And I think it's important for us to recognize that providers are also feeling vulnerable, stretched, thin, and stressed. How might we best work through these emotions? Annabelle, do you want to start? Well, I'm, that takes me back to what Dan was saying earlier about not being able to do anything like this perfectly, that it is a particularly hard time for us as providers. And consequently, we have to be engaged in good self-care so that we can care for others. I agree, Annabelle. I mean, it's, it's also one of the things I've been trying to do. <laughs> and again, I'm not perfect by this by any means, is I've been trying to maintain as much of my schedule as I can. So I try to get up around the same time every day, I try to exercise. I try to eat my meals at the same time. I mean, it's easy to kind of, again, in quarantine when you've got, you know, maybe lax schedules and things not so, you know, you have to be here and there in a certain time and place, you know, it's easier to get a little more lax on that. And I think that can create real sense of uncertainty and real sense of kind of 
not belonging in a sense and just feeling like you're just out there drifting. And so I think, you know, as providers, we need to kind of definitely maintain ourselves, uh, maintain our routines, uh, attend to our own needs. I mean, I know a variety of clinics have definitely opened up hotlines for their own providers. And so uh, I think, you know, again, that humility that we all need to experience, you know, even if we're, you know, providers ourselves, we need to recognize, we need to reach out and um, ask for help every once in a while ourselves. And be flexible, right? We're going to yeah. have to let some things go that we know are not going to be as perfect through this time frame, I think. I recall a, a social worker many, many years ago telling me that structure cures. <laughs> and I didn't quite understand what he meant, but I do now. Mm-hmm. It is very important to maintain a structure. And I'm very fortunate because I have a dog that insists I maintain a structure. It would be very easy to not do that. And then you know what happens. You begin to feel very anxious and and guilty and all that stuff. So thanks for bringing that up, Dan. Yeah, thanks. You know, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, too. You know, I feel, you know, I feel very a lot of empathy for people who don't have maybe a dog or other family members, because I think, you know, even with, you know, I've got a wife and two kids at home here. And so, I do have some social contacts and, you know, I'm able to give a hug and get a hug and these sort of things and have that human connection, but there are other people who don't. And, um, and that makes me worried about them and, and what's, you know, how we can reach out to them, especially since knocking door to door probably doesn't make sense. And, uh, um, you know, just, I guess, making sure that they know that there are resources out there available to people uh, and making those resources available to people much like this podcast. And I think, too, to remind our providers that there are systems in place in most of their facilities to reach out to, to, to work through some of these things, whether it be through their chaplain services or um, emergency services, so on and so forth, within those organizations, that those are really important to use right now. I wonder if we talk a little bit and, and about how we might be seeing CARES change for those outside the clinic um, and how you all are seeing your um, practices change and, and what we might foresee if, if this is going to continue for a short period of time. You know, I think we're going to learn a great deal from this uh, experience. Uh, I see that patients are a little more, re- they're very happy to have a telephone contact because they don't want to come out. And I certainly understand that. Um, so I think it's been really good that we've been able to be flexible and get that sort of thing going. Um, this is a crisis time, and crisis means an opportunity for growth. And boy, oh boy, I hope that we are able to do that for ourselves and for the people in our lives to provide the support that they need so that they can grow. Yeah, I agree, Annabelle. I mean, I think... This is one of those things that was, you know, already kind of in motion before the COVID-19 became, you know, the tele, you know, opportunities within psychiatry and psych- mental health. Um, I think there has always been that opportunity to provide services. And to be very honest, I mean, I've always been a little bit skeptic of it because I think there is some real value to seeing people in an office. And, you know, again, I think that offers some structure to their lives as well as making an appointment, you know, following up with that appointment and things like that. I think there's some real therapeutic value to just that. Um, but again, I, I agree with you. I think now that we're really forced into this telepsychiatry world, um, I don't think, you know, it's just like people are writing about, you know, this is post 9-11 or pre 9-11. And so this is going to be the same thing. This, this COVID-19 has changed us all and changed what we do by nature. And, and again, as you're mentioning, and, you know, definitely this is a grieving process associated with that. Um, but I think, you know, trying to keep optimistic, I think this is going to really revolutionize how we, 
view and how we connect with people, even though, you know, again, we can't do it face to face or even sitting across from them at a dinner table. Agreed. I think it's also important that we touch base a little bit on um, where our community members can be looking for some uh, best information because it's ever changing, right? So there are now we're seeing some drive-up clinics. So looking at the website for um, your local hospital or clinic that you are um, engaging in to make sure that you understand what their practices are to keep everyone healthy and safe and, and well through this process is really important. Um, and and then I think the other piece is to also um, recognize that they need to still advocate for themselves when they feel like something is not working for them because things are ever-changing and, and will be constantly changing. And so we, we have to be flexible as providers, but they are also going to need to um, speak up and say, this isn't working for me. How, how can we change this to, to work a little bit? Your thoughts? Dan? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think this goes right back to what Annabelle was saying. Sorry to be a broken record here, but uh, I mean, this is all about it. You know, internally, we need to kind of monitor what's going on, but then externally as well. If the system is broken and, and like you were saying, and I mean, this is this is evolving every day. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing press briefings from the president, from governors. I mean, they're speaking to us all the time. But again, the information is changing so quickly, it's even more rapid than that. And I think that's, you know, one of the benefits of the Internet if you have access to it, I mean, that's, that's a great resource, but it can be a double-edged sword in that regard too. Sometimes the internet is too much information. And so it, it creates anxiety and angst within itself. And so there's unfortunately a lot of, you know, some bad players out there too, posting things and, and we need to have reliable sources. And I think we need to trust those community partners, like you were saying, and, 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 you know, their websites as well. So our local hospitals, uh, regional hospitals and things like that, that are posting plus the CDC, which is going to, you know, publish reliable and, and consistent information as well. But, but yeah, like you said, we need to say something. If we see something that broke and we're not reaching people that are within our own practice or within our own families, um, I think there's a professional and a personal responsibility just to start screaming it from the mountains and saying, hey, this isn't working. What do we need to do? We, and sometimes just saying it really does, you know, offer light to it and offers an opportunity to make a change for it. Annabelle, any thoughts? Well, I agree with him. Um, I, I was trying to figure out how to say this. It's important to, I think, watch what we're reading on the Internet. And it's not always easy to check out the source. But if you stick with local ones, the ones associated with hospitals, for instance, I think you can trust those. The, the ones, you know, the University of Iowa had a great one on this morning about the research they're doing. Uh, if you see something on Facebook that says, you know, somebody in – New York has cured it. They have 12 patients and they cured all 12 of them, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I heard that from, you know, family member this week. Well, you know, that's not good research, <laughs> but if, if you don't know the scientific method, it's easy to be sucked into that, especially when you're fearful. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. I agree. I think the other piece for us as providers is to use person-centered language and and um, and and listen. Right, uh, you guys as as mental health providers, that's you you are trained really well to do that. And I think even ourselves in acute care and and for me as a faculty member, I need to stop and and listen to my students or to a patient that I might be caring for in a clinic or setting, what have you. Um, and I think that's also a key takeaway because uh, we're we're changing this time so much and and 
we're, I think, so, so fearful of what we might be missing, but also trying to get things done in a different way. So we're not using the time at the same way. Um, it, it will be really important as we continue through this path. Any yeah. other thoughts yeah. that either one of you have? Well, it's, it's, it's a tough time for everybody. I think we have to recognize that. And when we're working with patients or when we're working with family members or neighbors, to acknowledge that we're all feeling frightened, we're all scared of the unknown, we know what's going to happen tomorrow, and we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So we have to take really good care of ourselves and smile, I guess, and listen. (laughs) Listening is the most important uh, thing I ever learned in nursing, to listen, and then, then you get your chance to reflect back. Dan, any thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, Annabelle, that's absolutely right. And I was thinking, you know, with, with listening, that, that is a skill we take for granted so much. You know, it's, and it's something that I think even without the COVID-19, it's something I try to practice as much as I can, too. And, and it's all about sometimes taking yourself out of, you know, that emotional response to things out of context. So you can just hear what people are actually saying. So sometimes we rush to a conclusion. We, you know, we hear things that are emotionally charged and we make assumptions with it. And so really kind of taking or trying as best we can, you know, again, nobody's going to be perfect on this either, but really trying to listen and hear what other people have to say. And, and yeah, like you were saying, offer that smile. I, I also like just kind of mantras and, and the one that I've been kind of seeing a lot, um, you know, posted a lot of places is we will survive. And I, and I like that kind of idea that that optimism of just kind of moving forward, you know, this is a difficult time, a trying time. Um, and we're all going through it. Like you were saying, Annabelle, um, and it's good and important to recognize that, but also re- recognize the other side that we are continually, every step of the way, every minute, every second, we're moving closer to that ultimate end where we, you know, can start actually having more human interaction and going back to the movie theaters and concerts and, and all the other things that we really enjoyed doing um, that we are giving up for this, uh, you know, saving of lives. I mean, that's, that is what we're doing by quarantining ourselves and such. And so it's important and we need to continue doing it as long as the experts continue to tell us. Um, but, you know, we will survive. Thank you Good both. Point. Good point. And in closing, I'd like to share another quote from Rabbi Yosef Kansky. Every inch and every foot that we physically place between ourselves and another must become a thought as to how we might be of help to that other should the need arise. From all of us at the Institute, Dan and Annabelle, wishing you all health, wellness, and thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. For listening to this special COVID pandemic episode of the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, brought to you by St. Ambrose University's IPCC and KALA-FM. You can learn more about the Institute for Person-Centered Care by connecting with us on Facebook and Twitter.